This morning we're going to be speaking about assurance of salvation. And but I'm going to start off reading some verses on the finished work of salvation. And I have a few scriptures I'm going to bring forward to you. Why was Jesus Christ born? The scripture is very clear on that. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Luke 2.11. He was born to be a Savior. He was born to die. Who did Jesus come to save? He, he shall save and she shall bring forth a son, and thus shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He came to save his people. A finished salvation. If Christ came only to save his people then, who are his people? It says in John 17, 2, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. All God's elect were chosen before the foundation of the world and given to Christ as our, he was our surety. Will any who are given to Jesus Christ by the Father fail to be saved? You know, some people ask that question. Can you fall from grace? And this is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. I should lose nothing, but shall raise it up again at the last day. John 6, 39. He's going to raise all the ones was given to Christ the last day. Isn't it true that Jesus came to make salvation possible for the whole world and to give all a chance or an offer to be saved? No. He don't, he doesn't offer salvation. He gives salvation. Salvation is not a matter of chance or an offer. It's a matter of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians 2.8. Both the grace and the faith are God's gift to the sinner who would otherwise perish in their sins. Everything we receive is by grace. We receive it by grace. Since salvation is a gift of grace, does this mean that we are not saved because of what we do? Indeed, it is true. The salvation is not a matter of our own works. Ephesians 2.9 plainly states it that it's not a works lest any man should boast. There's no boasting. Well, I'm here because I did this or I kept the law or I did that. No, you're here by grace of God. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Does the sinner have to accept Christ in order to be saved? The scriptures do not have anything to say about the sinner accepting Christ, but they do teach that he, the Father, hath made us accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6 in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, 6 through 7. We're accepted in the beloved. So if Satan comes to you and says, oh, you're not accepted to God, but remember, you're accepted in Jesus Christ. Don't we have to get willing to be saved before Jesus can or will save us? 
God doesn't ask us about our interest in salvation before he saves us because the scripture teaches us that while we are in the unsaved condition, there is none that seeketh after God, Romans 3.11. So then it's not of him that willeth, nor him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy, Romans 9.16. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, Psalm 110 verse 3. Beloved, it's God who gives us the will to will. He makes you willing in the day of his power. Does the preaching of the gospel bring about the eternal salvation of sinners? No. Eternal salvation is brought about by the grace of God. The gospel only shines in the light on what God has already done in the hearts of his people. Regeneration precedes receiving of the gospel in truth. Our Savior Jesus Christ has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 2 Timothy 1.10 the gospel is, is the instrument in conversion, but not in regeneration. We're born of the Spirit of God. Did Christ leave anything to be finished concerning the work of salvation that the church, the minister, or you and I must complete? No. For in John 17, 4, Jesus said, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And in John 19, 30, he, his cry rang out when he was on the cross, It is finished. It's finished. Do you have a finished salvation, which is all of grace? Have you come to know the victorious, sovereign Savior? Or is your salvation defeated because the children of men won't cooperate? Beloved, we believe in the finished salvation of Jesus Christ. Laying that kind of foundation brings us down to the assurance of salvation. It's important that you realize that your salvation is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ, not in yourself. We should be careful to use biblical terms when we come to understand Scripture. And I have a question starting off. I said, can a person be a believer and have unbelief at the same time? Now listen to what I'm saying. Can you be a believer and at the same time have unbelief? Now I'm going to give you a scriptural answer to that. I'm going to say, yes, you can. In Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 20, and they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, forming. And he asked his father, How long is this ago since this came upon unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes he had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You see the compassion of the father for his child, asking the Lord to do something. Jesus said unto him, If I canst believe, all things are possible. That's one of the conditions that the Lord has laid out, belief. And he goes on to say, And to him that believeth, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway, listen to the father's comment. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, I think that's the cry of a lot of us at times in our spiritual walk with God. Lord, I'm a believer, but Lord, help my unbelief. He said that with tears. And that shows you, you can be a believer and still have unbelief at times in your walk with God. Can we be walking by faith and then at the moment sink in unbelief? Now, I'm not talking about falling from grace. 
But there's times in your Christian life in a moment, just like that, you can lose your assurance or you can uh, get your eyes off the Lord and start sinking in your spiritual walk with God. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, begin reading. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. This is when the Lord appeared on the water. They were in the boat. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He had his eyes on the Lord. And as long as he kept him on the Lord, he's walking on the water. And that shows you why we should always keep our eyes on the Lord. But, that Brother Dave's favorite word, <laughs> when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. See, that's what our problem comes in. We get our eyes off the Lord, we get them on the problem, and then fear, we get afraid. Fear comes in. And started beginning to sink. That's what happens to you and I in our experiences. When we get our eyes off the Lord, we get them on the problem, then fear comes in and unbelief, and then we start doubting. And we get un unrest comes into us, fear. And immediately... It's, and then it says, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, Lord, save me. How many times have we had to cry to the Lord to save us? You get to the point in your Christian walk where you get so desperate, you're praying for maybe one of your children or you're praying for a particular person who's in need and you get to the point, we say, Lord, I don't know what to do. You have, you've got to do something, Lord. You just, you just cry out to the Lord. And it says, immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and called to him and said unto him, O thou of little faith. How many times has the Lord said that to you and I? O thou of little faith. And I think we all have to say guilty. Wherefore didst thou doubt? Why do we doubt the Lord of glory? Because we got our eyes off the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus. That's why Paul says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he spied in the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God. The next question. That we may believe on the name of the Son of God without knowing that we have eternal life. In other words, we believe, but we're not assured that we have eternal life. Here's what John says in 1 John 5, verse 11. Begin reading. And this is the record that God had given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me shall never die. We'll never die spiritually. We'll die physically. This body's going to die, be put in the graveyard. But we, our souls, will never die because we have been born of the Spirit of God and we will... Go back to the Lord and be with him. After from the body, be present with the Lord. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Now he's writing this to those who have believed on the name of the Son of God. That you may know. What are you going to, what does he want us to know? That you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, he's saying, you have believed and I want you to know that believers have eternal life already. Because you pass from death unto life. When you believe, when you was born again, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Beloved, I want you to know this morning, if you're a believer, you have eternal life because you have the Son of God. Here's another question I have. 
That person who possesses precious faith were without assurance. And they were bidden to make their calling and election sure. Now you can have precious faith and sometimes in your walk with God maybe not have the assurance of your salvation. Second Peter 1 says this, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, them that have obtained like precious faith. God gives all his children precious faith. Faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 10. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. That's assurance of your salvation. You need to be diligent reading the Word of God, studying the things of God, hearing the preaching of the Word, to make your election sure that you have a strong foundation. That your foundation is built upon what? The finished work of Jesus Christ, not upon your good works. We don't go to heaven because of what we do. We go to heaven because of what Jesus did. He's the one that met all the conditions of salvation. He said, if if you do these things, you shall never fail. Oh, beloved, we need to walk by faith upon the Son of God. You know, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. I want to say something. Excuse me. It's not faith that saves you. It's the object of faith. Who do you believe in? I know whom I have believed, said Paul. You're believing in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the person that saves you. Your faith is the means of receiving that into your consciousness, into your mind, so that you can have assurance and know that you pass from death unto life. Faith respects the truth of the promise. Assurance, a knowledge of my interest in the blessed blessings promised faith may exist without assurance, but assurance cannot exist without faith. He who possesses faith is safe. He who has assurance is happy, William Stiles. So assurance is an extra blessing that God gives us in our walk with God. Now, you may not always be on the mountaintop. There may be times we go through winter times. There's a sermon I heard preached years ago. The winter times in a Christian's life. There's times we go through those winter times. We seem like the clouds have covered our our Lord. We don't seem to have that close assurance, that blessed assurance. We seem to be walking in uh, not not in fellowship with the Lord. And uh, Isaiah said, "What time I walk in darkness, I'll trust in Thee." So we need to realize there is times in your life you will need to stay close to the Lord, close to the Word of God, because you may go through a season of doubt. You say, am I a Christian? Am I really truly a believer? Am I a child of God? Now, we all have those doubts. We all have to fight that battle. So at times in your life when you're going through that, Peter said, don't consider it strange that you're going through these things. These are common to all the Lord's people. But when you go through those times, stay close to the Word, close to prayer, and look at the promises. God has promised, if you believe on me, you shall never die. You have to believe the promise of God. And then as we're going to go through, I'm going to show you other ways you know that you are a child of God. He says uh, in John 5.10, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. 
He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God hath gave of his son. What was the record? That he that hath the son hath eternal life. He's given us eternal life. Don't call God a liar. You know, that's what he's saying in plain English. God said he gave you eternal life. You have eternal life. And thank God for that. And one of the blessings that we have as Christians is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent into us in regeneration. We're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're born again by the power of God. We're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom, His dear Son. We become, we're in the members of the family of God. We, we're part of the family of God. Now the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, 16 says, The Spirit itself or Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now the Spirit, how does the Spirit bear witness? He bears witness by the Word of God. As we read the Word of God, He comforts our hearts with the promises of God. He comforts us. In John in 16, 15, it says, All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. The Holy Spirit takes the things of God, the Word of God, in the preaching of the Word from the pulpit, and the reading of the Word in your daily life. He'll take those things and reveal those things to you. He'll open up the Scriptures that you, Oh, I never saw that before. That's precious. You know, and it is, Brother David. When we see something new like that, you say, Boy, I never saw that before. What a blessing it is to read the Word of God and have the Holy Spirit open up the Scriptures to your mind. In Ephesians 1.13, it says, In whom ye also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth. The purpose of the gospel is to bring you to repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. You heard the word of God, the truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom, after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit of promise. And I believe that sealing there is the assurance of our salvation. The Holy Spirit seals us with the assurance that we are one of God's children in our hearts. And if we read the Word of God, that's why it's important to read. Faith cometh forth by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Faith will lay hold of the promises of God and believe them. That faith is put in us in regeneration. We, we, we read the Word of God and we believe it. And that gives us assurance of our salvation. What a blessing that is. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And we should not be ashamed to be called a Christian. We should not be ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And this is the foundation. It's whom you have believed that makes salvation sure. The object of your salvation is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The object of our salvation is the King of kings and Lord of lords. The object of our salvation to one who left heaven and came to earth to die as our substitute. He came to save his people from their sins. Why are you assured that you're going to heaven or have eternal life? Because Jesus came and paid the price for our sins. Our sins have been dealt with. They've been washed away in his blood. 
I thank God for Revelation 1.5. He says, Unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Our sins have been washed away. How? By the blood of the Son of God when he shed his blood. He made, he was a sacrifice. He was a sacrifice. He was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world in the mind of God and purpose of God. And it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. To do what? To die on the cross under the law is our curse. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He was cursed for you and I. Our sins laid upon Christ, imputed to Christ, and he bore them in his body on the tree and became a curse before God. That's why God turned his back on his son on the cross. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did because our sins were imputed to Christ. And when they were, he turned his back. He couldn't look at that. And he bore that. And in three hours of darkness upon the cross, Jesus suffered for our sins. Oh, beloved, what a Savior we have. We sing that song, Hallelujah, what a Savior. We do serve a wonderful Savior. And I think the thing that grieves us the most as Christians is when we're not as obedient as we should be to the Lord. When sometimes so willingly we serve sin and it grieves us in our heart and makes us, I want to be stronger. I want to be more resisting evil. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Deny yourself. Now that's a difficult part of the Christian life. Jesus teaches us that we need to deny. The word deny means abandon yourself. Abandon. My will should be your will, the Lord saying to you and I. Well, I command in the word, that's what you're to do. You're to follow me. As I follow the Father. We're to follow Christ. Jesus told the disciples, teaching them to do whatsoever I have commanded you. And that's how we're to teach the church. We're to teach the congregation. We're to teach the people of God what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught, the apostles' doctrine it speaks of in the book of Acts. Beloved, as we follow the teachings of the Lord, we realize that we belong to the Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, or 2 Corinthians 6, that you've been bought with a price. What was that price? The blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your souls, which are God's. We don't belong to ourselves. But Satan is tempting us to be selfish. Now, this affects all of us. There's not a person in this congregation doesn't have trouble with selfishness. If you, if you don't raise your hand, I want to come and shake you. Because we all have trouble with the flesh. David mentioned in one of his sermons, the conflict. I just put that on Sermon's audio. Between the flesh and the spirit. In Galatians chapter 5. Beloved, every one of us has trouble in the flesh. No exemptions. We all are common salvation. Common temptations. It speaks about in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. We're all common. We've been tempted. We need to remember that. And when you're being tempted, say, oh, if I'm being tempted, other members of the congregation probably are being tempted too. I'm going to take time and pray for them. 
Now, we need to think like that. Think spiritually. Say, hey, I'm being tested. If I'm being tested, God said, this is common to all the believers. I'm going to pray for our church members. I'm going to pray for brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. I'm going to pray for them. We need to be concerned for one another. And that's the, that's where we grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. Beloved, it is a, it is a warfare. It is a warfare. I know whom I believed and persuaded. You know, I'm, I'm glad Paul was persuaded about some things. That he that is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He said, I'm persuaded that Jesus Christ is able to keep my soul that I've committed unto him unto the day of judgment. I'm persuaded about that. You know, Jesus gave the promise that we're in his hand and we're in the Father's hand. And he said, no one can pluck you out of my Father's hand. We're secure. We're safe. We've been delivered. We've been saved by the grace of God. And yes, it's a battle. Yes, one day we may hear the Lord say unto us, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That should be our prayer, to be faithful to the Lord because of His faithfulness to you and I. As I said, the thing that should grieve us the most is our unfaithfulness to Him. And again, we all have to pray. Certain areas of your life, you're strong. Some areas of your life, you're weak. And I think every Christian has his own areas. Paul says, casting aside the weight and the sin which so easily besets us. What is that sin that so easily besets us? It's unbelief. Unbelief. When we get our eyes off the Lord, we don't read the Word, we put other things in His place. What creeps in? Unbelief. What follows unbelief? Fear. fear. Then, then distress. Then discouragement. And then we're in bondage, in a sense, to Satan again in our minds. See, the workshop of Satan is in our minds. He works in our thoughts, in our minds. He wants us to be miserable as Christians. He can't touch your soul, but he can make your life miserable. Disobedience brings discouragement. Disobedience brings uh, fear. All these things that comes into our lives is opposite of the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, meekness. Against such there is no law. If we're having the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, beloved, we are going to be joyful, abounding in the work of the Lord. But if the works of the flesh are being manifested in our lives, it's just the opposite. Fear moves in, disobedience moves in, we get discouraged, we get down and out, we lose desire for the Word, we lose desire for the things of God, and we replace that with other things. Well, I'm going to keep busy, I'll be doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. Trying to keep our mind off our true condition. See, that's Satan again trying to deceive us. Kind of like Martha and Mary. One was busy about doing everything in the world. Martha was. Lord, go tell Mary she should be helping me in the kitchen. Jesus said, Martha, Mary has chose the better part. She's learning at my feet. Beloved, all of us sometimes get busy. We get too busy. Take time to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn and to worship him.
All of us need to do that, myself included. It's so easy to get caught up in things that we don't take time for the Lord. By the Holy Spirit revealing the gospel of Christ in our hearts by believing the truth of the grace of God. Paul says in Ephesians 1.17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, Jesus Christ. And the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance is in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power. Beloved, it was by his almighty power that you are a believer. He brought you to believe. He gave you repentance. He gave you faith. We can't take glory for anything. That's why Paul said, he the glory, let him glory in the Lord. And then in Romans 8, 5, it says, and the hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. The love that we have is given to us by the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We can't take credit for the love of God that's in us. We didn't, we didn't create it. The Holy Ghost gave it to us. What a wonderful privilege it is to have God's love shed abroad in our hearts. Why did he give us God's love that we can love one another? Jesus said to his apostles, this you can know, know that you have eternal life if you have love one for another. We're to have love for each other. And how can I love you if unless I have the love of God? He's not talking about carnal love, friendship love. He's talking about spiritual love. Spirits coming from a heart of holiness, a heart of being regenerated. We're to love each other with the God's love. And that love is a sacrificing love. You say, how can I know if I, if I have God's love? Are you willing to sacrifice for those you love? In other words, sometimes you may have to t- take time to go see someone or to pray for someone. That's sacrificial love. You may have to give up something to help someone. Maybe some things we have to do to help a person in need. Could be financially. It could be a... Uh, a ride, uh, just give them a ride somewhere. Helping people, helping one another, praying. Do we take time to pray? You know, we sing that song, take time to pray every day. And I, I guess in my Christian life, that's something I need to do more of. I don't guess, I know it is. I need to pray more. The Holy Spirit works in us to love God and His children is taught in 1 John and gives us assurance of salvation. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren and we love the sisters, we love the family of God. I know I've passed from death unto life because of the love being demonstrated in my life, which is not from me, but it's from God. That gives us assurance of our salvation by the love that we share to each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We know, he says, and you can know that by the experience you have, by your loving your brothers and sisters in the congregation and those that are around you. He goes on to say, He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Not to love is, a, is an evidence that you're still dead in your sins. It's natural 
for a family to love one another unless there's something mentally wrong with the individual. Brothers and sisters should love one another. It's natural. We should love our parents. It's natural. Parents should love their children. It's natural. And if you're God's children, you should love the children of God. That's natural. Why? Because we have the same Father, we have the same Lord, and we've been born again. So that love should be demonstrated to each other. It's natural for us to love one another as God's people. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Now sometimes we say, what does it mean to love God? Well, here John gives us the answer. When we love God, we will be keeping His commandments. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but your aim and your purpose in life is to be obedient to the teachings of the Lord. Jesus said, Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And beloved, all of us have to bring our lives under the Word. I wish I could say, you know, that I, I never get out of the will of the Lord. I wish I could say I never have trouble with sin, but I do. I have to fight against sin every day. So do you, if you be honest. Is that conflict, Brother Dave, preached about? It's a conflict in the daily life of a Christian between the flesh and the spirit. And sometimes you can get knocked down right on your face. I mean, a good old knockout, they call it. KO, you're out. Sometimes I think Satan knocks me down more I'm up. You know, he's overtime. But remember, the preacher said this one time, remember that somewhere, somebody's praying for you. Ain't that a wonderful thought, Brother Dave? When you think you're all alone, the Holy Spirit will stir up a brother or sister in the congregation to pray for you. I believe that. There's times some of you come to my mind just out of the blue. And I'll start praying for you. I don't know why, but I think that there must be a need. So I'll start praying when someone comes to my mind like that. There's a need. We should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when He's leading us to pray for people. Another evidence of our being children of God in the, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Dave mentioned that in his sermon too. I'm just preaching Dave's sermon over. <laughs> It says in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's one of the key things we should have in our life. What follows love? Joy. What follows joy? Peace. What follows peace? Long-suffering. Boy, if you're not long-suffering, you won't have much peace. Gentleness. Goodness. Faith. Meekness. Temperance. Boy, that's where I need. That means self-control. Now, I have to say, if any of these I need need uh, strength in, is temperance, self-control. Against such there is no law. Oh, beloved, to be walking in the fruits of the Spirit, what a joy it is. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. We get assurance through the preaching of the gospel. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but how much, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
Verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He works the fruit of the Spirit into your life, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the, the self-control. God's working those things in your life that you may be obedient and please the Lord. We do all things for the Lord. Christ is the object of faith. By faith we believe in Christ's finished salvation, believing in God. Peter says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, a silver and gold from your vain conversation or manner of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world that was manifested in these last times for you and I. He was foreordained to die, but he was manifested for you and I. Mm, what a beautiful thought. Who by him do believe in God. We believe in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator, that raised him up from the dead and gave him, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God, not in yourself, not in a preacher, but in God. And in John 20, 26, it says, And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. And then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace unto you. Now here they were, the door was shut, and all of a sudden Christ just appears. He appears right in their presence. He could walk through walls. Nothing. And that's a glorified body. We're going to have a glorified body like that one day. Hallelujah. I don't have to knock on your door anymore. I can just come right in. <laughs> Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the cross, the Son of God, and that believing in you might have life through his name. Beloved, you have life this morning, if you're a believer. And where do you have it? Through his name, through Christ. And he says in verse 20 of chapter 5, 1 John 5, And we know that, this time, know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Believing in Christ is the foundation of assurance. Are you a believer this morning? If you're a believer, you have eternal life. You must believe God's word. Don't call God a liar. He said, if you have the Son, you have life. Beloved, it's precious, isn't it, to have the assurance of salvation. I'm not saying you'll never doubt your salvation, but there's times you go through those conflicts. But I believe God will bring you out of those conflicts and give you that peace that passeth all understanding. You say, well, what do I do if I sin? Confess it. Brother Dave, we confess it. I have to confess every day. Sometimes... Four, five, ten times a day. But I confess it. Lord, it's me again. Forgive me. Make sure you stay confessed up. Now Satan wants to make you feel down and discouraged and uh, unworthy to even pray. But remember, he shed his blood for forgiveness of sins. And God said, if we confess our sins, 
He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all our sins. There's none exempted. Hallelujah, Brother Dave. No matter what your sin is this morning, God says, I'll forgive it. May we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for the assurance of our salvation. Thank you for the keeping power of God. I'm grateful, Lord, that you're head of the church and you're head of all things to the church. Keep us this week. Strengthen us in thy word. May we all study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. May we desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Pray for Brother Dave for next Sunday that you'll lay the message on his heart to bring to us. In Jesus' name we give thanks. Amen. Does someone have a song in closing?